Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? Let's talk about change and specifically changing behaviors. Can we do something different? Let's change this up. (laughs) I can't wait for the day. There's going to be a day that your behavior changes. And I say, let's talk about such and such. And you're going to say, yes, and let's do. But let's do that after we talk about changing behavior. Well, you know, actually, my behavior hasn't changed because every time I try and come try is the operative word here. I'm not claiming I'm actually succeeding, but I am trying to come up with something pithy. (laughs) So my behavior is consistent. I know. That's what I'm saying. And and I'm looking for change. Oh. (laughs) Oh. Oh. (laughs) So what's it take to change? (laughs) You know, isn't this the $30 million question? Um, You know, Donnie Epstein, who talks about the 12 stages of change, has a change triad. You know about it, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, let's just change things up. It's actually the 12 stages of healing. Healing. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. He's the author. He's a a chiropractor who uh, made some observations about um, as people are going through stuff and getting and becoming healthy. And healthy doesn't mean um, like being cured. Right. It, it, it's a more holistic approach to health. He noticed that they go through certain stages and, and he incorporated that in his book. And of course, in order to do that, you need to change. We, we, a lot of things end up changing. And so he uh, developed what he calls his triad of change. Exactly. And there are three elements to it. Big surprise. Why is, why is that a big surprise? Uh, I was being pithy. Oh, it was my attempt at pith. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't recognize it. Sorry. Is pith a word in and of itself? It must be because how can you be pithy if there is no pith? Well, you think. (laughs) All right. We've okay. Folks, we're rebranding now as the English podcast. (laughs) I'm also curious about gruntled because you can be disgruntled. Doesn't that assume you could be gruntled? But anyway, the triad of change Uh, includes those three elements, which is perception, behavior, and structure. Absolutely. And and in order to change, right, we need to address them. And what's what's interesting is that which one we address first or what order we address them or how we address them is going to be different for each of us and potentially even within different circumstances. Right. And, and what happens is that as we change one, it affects the other. And the theory behind the whole thing is that once all three are jiving and working, then behavior change is a lot easier. Is that right? Uh, that, and that is my understanding, right? And as we, as we energize each of those and it becomes easier to do, um, then, <coughs> excuse me. My cough button uh, was too far out of reach. It was six inches in front of me. 
touch your little T-Rex arms. Like, I can't reach. Exactly. Or actually didn't think about it. Um, but as we energize them, we if so if we change one, we'll change the others. But if we can change them all easier, right, it becomes sort of this iterative process. It does become easier and easier. And, and change is this. Let's start here. Like, why do why do we care about change? Well, I mean, for example, we were just talking about drinking alcohol. And I've found that drinking alcohol is packing on the pounds. It's emptying my bank account and doesn't do good things for my next day. <laughs> so I want to change that behavior. So I'm taking in less calories. I'm, you know, we, all these change behaviors that are not serving us, we want to be able to change, but it's not as easy as just making that decision as we all know. Well, I, well, or it can be, it depends. And that's, that's the point. And understanding the try to change will help you understand where you are, or if there's resistance to change, perhaps where that resistance is. But let's back up for a second before, I, and I want to come back to your alcohol since you brought that up, and I think it's a great example. And as leaders, we are agents of change. And frankly, as salespeople, we are agents of change. And now I, I was thinking about this this morning. It was some more, it's like, you know, do we want to rebrand as a leadership since, you know, with, with Darren, you know, not in his forte with sales, but the reality is sales is leadership and leadership is sales. So mm -hmm. there's no real reason to rebrand that. Irrespective, right? If somebody's buying something from us or we're just leaders and, you know, we're trying to get people to work, process, improve, achieve a goal, whatever it is as leaders, our, our overall strategic objective might be in order to achieve that, we almost always, not almost, we always have to motivate and inspire people to change. Correct. And so this understanding, this triad of change, I think is a, is a really useful tool to understand where the resistance comes from and provide tactics so that we can um, overcome that resistance. So let's look at your alcohol consumption, right? And say, so, so the first thing that happened is you thought, this is no good for me anymore. Correct. But the old perception is actually more important in this case. Well, I think, you know, perhaps my point here, though, is it started in your case with perception. Right. That's not always, that always doesn't happen that way. Right. In other words, just because our perception changes doesn't mean the behavior is going to change if that is a low energy, and this is the point, if it's low energy. And, and I'll give you a case in point. When I started speaking, my perception was that eh, what I'm talking on is not all that revolutionary. My topic wasn't all that, you know, it was obvious. It was just, it was my life's experience. And, you know, geez, you know, isn't this common sense? And it was, the perception didn't change until the behavior and the structure. And the structure, of course, is I developed my keynote. And the behavior is I was delivering my keynote. And so this was my first keynote several years ago. And it was good. It wasn't great. It was good. And, and I'm a decent public speaker. My so So the speaking, anything with ING, of course, that's the 
behavior. So my behavior was up there, very energetic. I love getting in front of a crowd and speaking. The structure was okay, but it wasn't until, so, so it was this inner of like I was doing, I had the structure and I had the behavior and then I started getting feedback and that feedback changed my perception. As I got my perception changed, I, wow, people are really taken in by this and they think this is some powerful, interesting stuff. That empowered me now to come up with a new keynote, change my structure, right? And so that's that sort of triad of change. In your case, what, I, what I'm getting is that the support, so the perception now is driving the behavior in your case. Correct. Driving now, what, the change behavior. Well, it's right. When you change your perception, you change your behavior. Your old perception was that there's nothing wrong with drinking. Even even more so that drinking is cool and grown up and I'm fancy when I have a martini. Okay. And boy, you have two or three martinis. I am not fancy anymore. Nor grown up anymore. Not very grown up either. <laughs> so, right. And so as your your perception changed and that drove a change in behavior. It drove a desire for a change in a behavior. So here's where we have to get involved and be intentional about it. Because I've been thinking about this for two or three years. My perception changed, but the behavior didn't. So what did you do to get your behavior to change? Well, I recognized the old perception that still remained deep down in my brain that said that drinking is fancy and cool. And so I'm when I'm in social settings... I think I want to drink to be a part of that. So what the structure I needed to come up with was that decision that when I'm in a social situation, I'll have a cranberry juice and soda or a diet Coke. And so that's the structure I put into place to support the, the behavior that I wanted with this new perception. And that is so critical. And I was, I'm so glad to hear you went that way because so so for you, the behavior change was the low energy. That was the hard thing for you to do. Right. So you took your perception, made that change your structure to support the new behavior. Exactly. Now I go in with the perception that no, drinking isn't when I drink, it's not fancy or grown up. And I have a plan for when I'm faced with the behavior. So this is really important, folks. Plan is structure. Okay. Perception is our mental construct of how we how we see things. I don't want to use the word perceive again, right? Because but how we see things, right? Mm -hmm. How we imagine them. And then so Anne put a structure in place, i.e., a plan that supported the behavior. Right. Let's contrast that with my keynote. You know, I wanted a, a newer, better keynote, right? I need the hard part for me was creating the perception that something wild and crazy and you know my new keynote is absolutely mind-blowing um and it's powerful and it wasn't until my perception of how well my message is received changed that i was able to change the structure which is the actual keynote itself the behavior of performing it that was never the issue so in my case perception changed structure well, actually, in your case, perception changed structure as well. And then behavior was lagging for you. For me, the behavior was always there. Right. The structure was what you needed to work on. And, you know, and one of our, our 
mentors, would you call him? Dr. Aaron talks about stacking up the ones that are not, that are energy rich. So as you said, for me in the drinking case, the behavior was when I was in the bar with a bunch of friends and they're getting fancy cocktails that I want a behavior change, but that's the low energy piece for me, right? Creating the structure, making the decision, all that, and the perception are the easier parts for me. So in order to get that behavior change, not only do I remind myself that it's, you know, the, from a perception standpoint, that it um, isn't fancy or grown up, but also that I'm taking in more calories, that I'm losing a lot more money than I need to, that I'm going to feel crappy for what it, you said, I'm almost 50. So that's five days afterwards. And, uh, you know, all of these pieces that stack up that I can remind myself when I'm in that moment, ready to do behavior. And then from a structure standpoint, I can also stack those up in order to support that behavior that is low energy for me. So I can say, okay, cool. I'm going to have either a diet Coke or a cranberry with, with uh, soda water. That's going to be great. Or maybe we go to a place without an alcohol license, or maybe we go on a walk and talk rather than going to happy hour. So I start to create all this structure that will support the behavior that I want. Absolutely. And I bet you did the same thing with your keynote. Your perception changed, right? Now I have something to say. People need my message. They're excited about hearing it. They're hiring me for it. And then you changed your structure, not only the keynote, but how you're selling it, where you're promoting it, all of these things that support the opportunity to get to do it. Absolutely. So, you know, so for me, it was behavior driven first. I did the old keynote and I did it a lot and I love doing it, right? So high energy, easy to do. As I got feedback on how it was being received, that changed my perception. Once my perception changed to the point where I was like, okay, I really have a valuable message, then that drove my structure change. Mm -hmm. And I came up with a new keynote. And as you said, I developed, you know, how I speak about it is different. When I say speak about it, when I'm selling it, now that's a behavior. Right, so that changed a new behavior in in the sales side of things. Mm-hmm. So let, let's shift gears here. I think we did a pretty good job here of using our personal experiences to to sort of outline this triangle of change, um, or triad of change, as, as Dr. Epstein calls it. How as leaders can our listeners use this when they're looking at their teams and going, "What's holding them up?" It's examining all three corners of the triad, I think, because oftentimes we hit one conclusion. Okay, we're not hitting our sales numbers because they're not making their calls. But by looking, and that's just the behavior, calling, right? But by looking at the structure we have set up, the training program, the scripts, the sales programs that they're selling. And by looking at the perceptions of the teams, do they believe this is important? Do they believe they can do it? Um, Do they have that confidence? By looking at all three corners, you might start to identify other places to focus the energy besides the quote unquote obvious one that you were originally saying. You know, you, you make a really solid point here. You bring to mind a story many years ago, decades ago, 
It might have been centuries, Dave. I was, thank you. I was about to say, I'm glad I can't say centuries. <laughs> Although I think it would be pretty cool if at some point I could say centuries. Wow. That actually would be pretty neat. Um, You'll but, have to get a new host for the podcast because I'm not, I'm not going to go centuries. Sorry, Dave. Well, we'll change that. We're, we're going to work on that perception. All right. <laughs> um, but I, 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 so I had been, I had been in sales. I'd been the top sales dog at the company I was with, and I had moved over to operations. I was VP of operations. And I was leveraging my my naval officer background because the operations department was in, well, maybe not shambles, but they they needed a makeover, and and I was just the guy to do it. And the general manager slash sales manager, who's a close friend of mine at the time, uh, told a new salesperson, "Listen, if you have any questions." Besides me, if I'm not around, talk to Dave. He knows the sales process inside and out. He was our you know, top sales guy, blah, 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 blah. So this woman comes up to me probably our second week on the job, and, and she said, um, what advice do you have for me to be successful? And we had this scripted, we called it a step two. So it was a five-step sales process. First step was initial contact. The second step was the initial meeting. And so we, we I had a step two today. That's how we would talk about it, right? Um, and it was a script, like memorized script delivery that you'd want to get into. I could, I, I, I haven't done it since 1993 and I could probably at least I would do still the, remember it. <laughs> right, right. And I could deliver that conversationally. And my advice to her was, listen, memorized, and it is probably single space page and a half. So we're not talking, we're talking a lot of words here. Yeah. And I said, memorize that script, memorize that step two until you can do it flawlessly without any thought whatsoever, right? And I told her, I said, listen, when I started out, I just went through it conceptually. I knew what the concept points were, which is, you know, as I mentioned before, that's how I speak now, right? But what happened is I'd be in front of a client and I'd go like, I'm looking for words. I didn't like the way that sounded. And then I'd like read the script and go, oh, I, I like that. And slowly but surely, you know, I got this literally word for word. And I would put ums and pauses in there intentionally to make it sound like it was conversational and it was memorized. And so that was my advice to her. She looks at me and she goes, oh, no president or CEO would ever sit through all of this. And I'm like, wow, um, I've done this hundreds, maybe a thousand times at this point in my career. And I didn't have any of those problems. She wouldn't engage in the behavior because her perception was nobody would do that. Right? So we had the structure, but because her perception was flawed, she wouldn't engage in the behavior. Mm. Right? So point being here is, instead of just saying, just do it, which is, Basically, what I said, and then when, and, and and then when she wouldn't do it, I I said I got, I'm done with you. I don't have time for this. Right? You, you're going to take my you ask for my advice and and then argue with me. Go, go go talk to somebody else. Waste their time, right? And she didn't last very long. Had I worked on the perception, perhaps we could have salvaged her. Mm. Exactly. And so thinking about what's that belief behind why she's not doing it. And this was, and this was one of the things that Dr. Aaron, 
our mentor guy, what do you even call him? Anyway, our mentor guy was talking to me about my running because I'm trying to get back into running to get back into marathons. And I just, when the alarm goes off and it's time to put on the running shoes and go do it, it's the behavior that's super low energy. And so he's saying, beef up the perception, beef up the structure, which if you could have done with her, might've been able to allow her to have success. Yeah. So what is your perception about running? Do you like it? Do you enjoy it? No, I don't. The actual behavior, putting one foot in front of the other for 45 minutes. I don't, it's yucky. I like having done it. I like the calorie burn. I like the endorphins afterwards, but none of that alone is enough to make me go do the behavior. And so what he said was, well, you're meeting your friend for a half marathon that you've paid money for in a few weeks, right? So instead of going running, why don't you go prep to not lose that money? Why don't you go and be ready to meet your friend and run with her? Why don't you, you know, and and why don't you set up group runs? So it's, that's the structure. So it's not just you. You know, and so there's other pieces involved in me actually doing that behavior that it's not, I gotta go run. Well, it's interesting because you know, years ago I did the San Diego Marathon, it's my one and only marathon. And, and, I did that one dressed as Elvis, we got to lead it off in the, front of the Kenyans. The San Diego rock and roll, yeah. No, 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 this is before the rock and roll. Oh, okay. So, what's now known as the Carlsbad Marathon ah. was called the San Diego Marathon before the rock and roll came about. And so um, I, I joined a group and my perception was I wasn't a runner, but my, my boss, the guy, actually the guy I was telling you who said, go talk to Dave, right? He had done some marathons and, and he said, you want to do this? And I just said, yes, because I'd never done one before. <laughs> and, you know, my perception was I wasn't a runner and the behavior of running at the time was not enjoyable, mm-hmm. right? But we joined a group called San Diego Fit. And we would meet on Saturdays as a group, and this they would break you up into you know color groups based on your your your, your split speeds, you know. And I w- I was in the snail group, the you know the whatever. Still had, doing it. <laughs> I had race walkers passing me. Um, you know, I I tell people all the time. I said anyone two can run for two hours. Those Boston people who you know you, I think it's like a sub two fifteen or something like that to qualify for Boston two fifteen. Who can't run for 215? Try running for five and a half hours. <laughs> so I say, what's the rush? I paid good money for this and there's snack bars all along the way. Why would I rush? Yeah, that's a good one too. So, but the structure in this case was what drove me because I, I had paid money to join and we were meeting every Saturday and doing, that was a long run, progressively longer run. So if I didn't get my runs in during the week, and the other thing that they put in place was we didn't run distance during the week. We ran for time. Mm-hmm. So it was an hour run or a 20-minute run or whatever. We progressively got longer, which is different. It's not like, oh, I'm going to run for 12 miles. It's like, no, I'm going to run for an hour. And if I run four miles or I run six miles, I'm running for an hour. Mm-hmm. Okay, And of course, as I got better, I would run farther. And then interestingly enough, as my perception changed, which was, you know, once I hit that six mile plus mark and now you've got that runner's high and endorphin and, and I was like, this feels pretty good. Then the behavior became much easier because I'm like, I looked forward to that endorphin release and that runner's high and that sense of accomplishment, right? And all those other things 
that the, as the perception got better, the behavior got better. And that perception that you belonged with those runners. Not that you were necessarily a runner yet, <laughs> or maybe that did change, but that perception that you belonged in that group also supported that behavior. Yeah, no, for a long time, I, I identified as a runner and I did half marathons and, and 10Ks and, and, and I, you know, it's like I'd get stressed out and I'm like, I'm going to go out for a quick six miles, right? Quick six miles was oxymoronic to me, you know, but, but that's what it became. You know, right. my when my dad passed away, I remember, you know, being in Florida with my family and just being, you know, stressed as you can imagine and just going, I'm, I'm just going to go out for a run and just going out for an hour, you know? Mm -hmm. And so think about this when it comes to things that you would like your team to change their behavior on or your clients, even when you're in a sales situation, really think about all three corners of this triad. And ask about them. This is the right. So if your team is not adopting whatever your new um, uh, process is. All right, guys, what's going on here? Maybe. The process is flawed and it's not supporting the behavior. It's making their, and that usually looks like making their job more difficult. Mm -hmm. That's a flawed process. Maybe it's the perception. I, I've shared in the past how, again, that same company where, um, uh, his name was Alan, but you know, where, where, um, the one woman said, you know, no CEO will listen to that. At another point in time, I had, uh, instituted a new technology. We uh, we were schedule we were scheduling ten technicians using a hairdresser's scheduling book. Mm -hmm. And so what would happen is people would you know write in a customer. Customer would call and say, "Oh, I'm canceling that appointment," and they would erase it and accidentally erase the one above or below it. You know, because it's not that you know they weren't that careful. They were in a rush, and then we would miss an appointment because it got erased, or somebody mm -hmm. would double book that technician because they thought it was erased. And so we had software that actually handled all that, just nobody knew it. And when mm -hmm. I went to get our customer service reps to adopt it, one of them did an inter-company uh, transfer to another department. And what I found out later is because she thought I was expecting them to be perfect from day one. And I wasn't. But her perception was a problem. Mm -hmm. Had I inquired what her reluctance was more, I might have been able to keep her on. And so, and this is key as a leader, as a salesperson, being open-minded to more than just your default. Uh, we end up getting into habits because habits may be working for us, but by thinking about other factors, you might be able to make change a lot more effectively. Right. Look, so, and we could probably do a whole show on this, but, you know, habits are a survival technique. Mm -hmm. It's a really powerful survival technique because it, it, it disengages our prefrontal cortex. It bypasses that completely, right? And your, your body just goes automatically into whatever it is you're doing. And what happens is when you break a habit pattern, so like when we were, we were manning up aircraft and we would do a pre-flight, we would do it, always do it the same way, the same time. Now, what, what happens sometimes is you're in a rush or something comes up and all of a sudden you get this like spidey sense tingling in the back of your head. That miss and you, if you learn to listen to that, that's because you broke a habit, and now you need to slow down, stop, and look and see where where the ball might have gotten dropped. Maybe it didn't, but but that's a warning sign. So habits save our lives. That's a really good thing, and they can also cause problems. Exactly. Well, I love it. I think that we have talked this one out. I think you're right. So great show, Anne, as always. As always, Dave, thank you.
All right. We'll see you guys next time. Have a great week. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Ann Bonnie at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them. Yeah.